0: Al Bashir, your source of Islamic literature, presents the lives of the Prophets, part two.
1: Alhamdulillah wa ala Muhammad. This queen was what we call today very democratic or shura, a better word. She would seek the advice of her followers. And subhanAllah, we see in this queen many good qualities before Islam, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided her through her hikmah. You can see from her personality that she was very wise, and her wisdom ended up leading her into Islam, because al-aql, the mind, would lead us toward truth, would lead us to understand the message of the Anbiya by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the non-believers on the day of judgment, no matter how intelligent they were on the face of the earth, on the day of judgment, when they see the punishment and they see hellfire, what would they say? They would say, if we hear, if we used to hear, or if we had understanding, we wouldn't have been in hellfire. So they say we didn't have any understanding when we were on earth and we we didn't have any hearing. So the true mind and the true understanding is the understanding that would lead a person towards the truth and lead the person towards Islam. She was soliciting advice from her mala. Al-mala in Quran means uh, the chiefs or the leaders of the society. Al-mala.
2: Al-mala. She said, Oh, chiefs, advise me in this case of mine. And then she said,
1: I decide no case till you are present with me and give me your opinions. She said, I want your advice in this case. And then she said, and you know me, I never take a decision until I seek your advice. Shura. Their
2: response was, قَالُوا نَحْنُ وَأُلُو بَأْسٍ شَدِيدٍ They said,
1: we have great strength and great ability for war. They said, if you want us to fight, we're ready. The army is prepared, it's powerful, we're ready
2: to go to war. And then they said, But it is
1: for you to command, so think over what you will command. So their opinion was, we are ready to do whatever you want us to do. If you want us to fight, we're ready to fight. So they gave her the green light to go to war. Actually, maybe they encouraged her. They said, we are ready to fight. It's your decision now. Her wisdom now shows up. She wants to deal with the situation in the softest way possible and... Confrontation could be an option, but later. Why start with confrontation when there, w- there are other means? And we know that that was the policy of Rasulullah in dealing with situations. Rasulullah was described as, Ma bayna illa Whenever Rasulullah would be offered two options, he would always choose the easiest. Rasulullah would try to avoid confrontation, whether it is with Quraysh or any other people, as much as he can. And this was the way of Rasulullah. And that's why, when in Surah al Hudaybiyah uh, an agreement was reached, Rasulullah accepted it, even though many of the Sahabas were reluctant to accept it. Because they felt that we we're ready to fight. But we should not understand that this means we give up principles or we compromise in the religion as we find in the peace process that's happening now. That is something different. That is not peace. That is giving up all of your principles and giving up the Muslim land. That's not called peace. It's misleading. The naming itself is misleading.
2: What was the response of Al-Malika, the queen? She said, قَالَتْ إِنَّ الْمُلُوكَ إِذَا دَخَلُوا قَرْيَةً أَفْسَدُوهَا وَجَعَلُوا أَعِزَّةَ أَهْلِهَا أَذِلَّهُ وَكَذَلِكَ يَفْعَلُونَ
1: She said, verily kings, when they enter a town, they despoil it and make the most honorable amongst its people the lowest, And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala approved what she said and said, and thus they do, What did she mean by this? When the kings enter into a land, they corrupt it. She means that when you enter into a confrontation with another nation, king or president or government, whatever, when you enter into confrontation with another, with another, another state or nation, and the other nation wins through war, when they enter into the land, they would occupy it and they would disrupt the system that was there because they entered by force. And because they were fighting another government, because who's the one who took the decision to fight? It's the government. They would make that government and the king or whoever is in position of responsibility the lowest. Because they are our enemy. I won against you. You were the one who was fighting me you're going to be the lowest. Most likely they kill them. But then they need assistance from the local people. So who do they promote? They usually promote the lowest class who are enemies of the former government. And that's something that you find always in wars between states. So the queen over here is saying, if we enter into a war with Sulaiman salam. And he wins through war, then us, the government, we're going to be done with. He's going to get rid of us. And he's going to take our land as Ganima. He's going to invade our land, occupy it. And he will do corruption to our land because he is assuming that Sulaiman is like any other king. He doesn't know that Suleiman is different. He's a nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we find how corrupt the Muslim lands were under the European occupation. And now we are still suffering from that corruption until this moment. Because they entered through a state of war. So she said, I will send
2: them a gift. Rather
1: than fighting them.
2: (laughs) But verily I am going to send
1: him a present and see with what answer the messengers return. This method of dealing really shows her intelligence because it's going to work if Suleyman was not a prophet. Because why do kings invade lands? Why do governments go in war to other countries? Money. To, over, to take that land as a ghanima. So she wants to send a gift to Sayyidina Suleyman to convince him that we're going to pay you Rather than go to war with us and spend a lot of money in war We're going to give you whatever you want Here, I'll send you a gift and see what the response will be She called it a gift We can maybe call it a gift, but it also has to it It seems that it's a little bit tilting towards being a bribe. And then she said, I will see what happens I'm going to see what the messengers What the response is فَلَمَّا جَاءَ سُلَيْمَانَ So when the messengers with the present came to Suleyman, قَالَ said, Will you help me in wealth? فَمَا اللَّهُ خَيْرٌ مِّمَّا ataakum. What Allah has given me is better than what He has given to you. Sayyidina Suleyman said, Are you trying to give me money? He said, First of all, what Allah has given me is better than what you have. What can you offer me? And many of the Mifassireen say that Sulaiman alayhi salam here was not referring to the material possessions that he has. Even though his material possessions are better than theirs. But Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam was referring to the nubuwa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him. The prophethood and the ilm of religion. What I have is better than what you have. And then he said, بَلْ أَنْتُمْ بِهَدِيَّتُكُمْ تُفْرَحُونَ You are the ones who are happy with gifts. You cannot buy me with this gift. This gift is not what will make me happy and pleasant. You are the ones who could be bought off by gifts. Gifts make you happy, but this strategy will not work with me. And then Sayyidina Sulaiman said, Irja biha minha He said, Then Solomon Sulaiman said to the chief of her messengers who brought the present, Go back to them. We verily shall come to them with hosts that they cannot resist and we shall drive them out of their land in disgrace and they will be abased. Sayyidina Sulaiman said, go back and tell her that we are going to send her an army that she will not be able to resist and we are going to drive them out of their land in a state of humility. salam said, don't make me these gifts, take your gifts back and he refused the gift. So the messengers went back to her and told her he refused the gift. He realized, this was the first step in her realizing that this man is not a man of dunya. He's not a man of this world. He's not seeking dunya. He's up to something else. And that was the first step for her to come towards the religion. She decided not to go to war, even though Suleyman alayhis gave her a clear threat. She decided she's not going to go to war and she's going to go and meet him personally. She prepared her delegation and they went out to meet with Sayyidina Suleyman alayhi salaam. Sayyidina Sulaiman, when she was on her way, said to his
2: chiefs, (laughs) He said, O chiefs, which of
1: you can bring me her throne? Before they come to me surrendering themselves in obedience. What did the Hudhud describe the bird? What did the bird describe in the kingdom of Saba? He described the throne. The throne was the symbol of their kingdom. The throne was their pride. This was a unique thing that only the kingdom of Saba had. It was the symbol of their kingdom. Sayyidina Sulaiman said, bring it to me. Before they come to me. Now you might ask the question, how come Sulaiman wanted to bring the throne, what's the reason? Well the scholars, the mufassirin have responded to that, they said that Sayyidina Sulaiman wanted to show her a miracle. The Anbiya a.s., they exhibit their miracles in front of the people to prove the authenticity of the message. They do that, one of the methods they do that is through the miracles, presenting the miracles to the society. And we know that something unique about Sayyidina Sulaiman salam was his kingdom. Oh Allah, <laughs> give me a kingdom that will occur to nobody after me. So the kingdom of Sulaiman was his miracle. And he wanted to present to her some of the powers that are under his control by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To show her that he's a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he's not just a king. Because this was something out of the capability of kings in that time. So he wanted to bring the throne before she arrives. The first offer was made by Ifrit min al jinn. Ifrit is a name given to somebody who has excelled in his field and reached to the highest levels called ifrit. So ifrit min al jinn, a of the jinn is a jinn who is at the highest levels of power among the jinn. You call that jinn ifrit. So he's not just a jinn, but he's a ifrit from the jinn. Powerful jinn. And the word uh, nowadays in Arabic has been always used in reference to jinn, but in the Arabic language it could mean somebody who has excelled and re- reached a high, very high level in
2: that particular field. A'frit from Jinn, he made an offer, he said, A A'frit, hey, a strong one from the Jinn said,
1: I will bring it to you before you rise from your place. And verily I am indeed strong and trustworthy for such work. His credentials, his resume was that I'm strong and trustworthy. And I can bring it to you before you rise up from your council. It is said that Sayyidina Suleyman used to sit in Majlis al-Qadha, his government seat, his throne. He used to sit in it from Fajr until Dhuhr. So dependent on when this offer was made, we can know that it's a few hours. And from Yemen to uh, Jerusalem is maybe four hours flight by airplane. Four or five hours. That's how long it would take by air. So this fleet was around that speed. Allah alam exactly how long it was, but they say that he used to sit between Fajr and Buhr. Even though according to the standard of that time, this was something that was out of the reach of anyone. To bring it in a few hours, when the methods of translation transportation in their time was horse and camel. Nevertheless, there was a better offer and Sayyidina Sulaiman turned this offer down. A few hours was not enough because he got another offer from عِلَّ الكتاب, The one who has knowledge of the book. And this shows you the power of knowledge. The one who has knowledge had a better offer than the ifrit of the jinn.
2: Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَالَ الَّذِي عِلْمٌ مِّنَ الْكِتَابِ One with
1: whom was knowledge of the scripture said, I will bring it to you within the twinkling of an eye. Before your eye blinks, the throne is going to be in front of you. Ilm. We know that is knowledge What type of knowledge? We don't know Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said al-kitab, the scripture What scripture? Was it the scripture of Dawood? Was it, was it a different scripture? What exactly? We do not, uh, we do not involve in this discussion Because this is ghaib It is unknown What we know is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in Quran And we do not follow the Israeliyat stories We don't go after that but we stop where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at what, Allah, at what information Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us with. We know that's knowledge. And we learn from this that knowledge has power. With the twinkling of an eye, the throne was right there in front of Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam This is power under the hands of Sulaiman. What was the response
2: of Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam When
1: he saw it placed before him, he said, this is by the grace of my Lord. He didn't say, this is by the grace of the one who has knowledge. He said, this is by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why it's very important for us always to believe and to say, whatever good I have done is from Allah. And whatever mistakes I have done are from myself. Whatever good we do or happens to us or anybody does is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Sayyidina Sulaiman said, am akfur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing me to see whether I am grateful or ungrateful. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, and we talked about this a lot. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you is a test from Allah for you to see if you will be grateful or not. And then he said, وَمَن شكر فَإِنَّمَا يَشْكُرُ لِنَفْسِهِ And whoever is grateful, truly his gratitude is for who? For his own self. You're not gonna benefit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all, by being grateful to Him. You're benefiting
2: yourself. Whoever is ungrateful,
1: certainly my Lord is rich, free of all needs, and bountiful. If you are not grateful, believe me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need you. We need to tell ourselves this, because sometimes we feel that the money we pay, we're doing a favor to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever we donate of our time or effort to the religion of Allah, sometimes we brag about it. The religion of Allah does not need me, it does not need you, it does not need anyone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient of all needs. We are doing this for our own benefit. Sayyidina Sulaiman nakiru said, Qala, laha ar-sh'a. He said, disguise her throne for her. Change the outlook of the throne a little bit. Make some
2: alterations to it. Why? To see,
1: will she be one of those who recognize it, or she would be one of those who won't. So they made some alterations to her throne. Changed the way it looks a little bit. But the essence of it was the same. The uniqueness and the
2: greatness of that throne was untouched.
1: So when she came, it was said to her, Is your throne like this? This is a straightforward question. Yes or no question. Is this your throne? What should the answer be? Yes or no? Now if she said yes it looks like her throne but it's a little bit different. And if she said no it's true that there's some alterations to it but it's, it's very very similar to my throne. So she avoided the yes and no answer and she said قَالَتْ كَأَنَّهُهُ A very diplomatic answer. She said it is as though it were the very same. So it's not a yes answer and it's not a no answer and this is part of her wisdom and hikmah. She didn't give a straight answer of yes or no, and she made her answer right in between because it looks like her throne, but it's a little bit different. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sulaiman said, knowledge was bestowed on us before her, and we were
2: submitting to Allah. And that which she
1: used to worship besides Allah has prevented her from Islam, for she was of a disbelieving people. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying, what prevented her from being a Muslim is because the way she was brought up. Refusing the gift was one step for her towards Islam. Bringing the throne was a second step for her towards Islam. It was said to her, enter a sarh What is a sarh A As-Sarh is a special palace that was built for Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhis-salam. This palace had uh, very amazing things in it, one of which was the flooring of this palace. The floor was made out of glass, transparent glass. And under that glass was a flowing river. So this palace is erected on water, and the floor was glass. Glass was something that the people in that time might not have known, this transparent material. So when Sayyidina Sulaiman a.s. told her to enter into this palace, when she saw it, what did she think? She thought it was water, so she raised up her skirt.
2: Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, (laughs) But when she saw it, she
1: thought it was a pool and she tucked up her clothes, uncovering her legs. Something very embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing? Because it shows her ignorance. It shows us she's backward considering the advanced stage that Sayyidina Sulaiman was at. She doesn't know about this technology. She was raising up her skirt trying to walk into, into that water. So it was embarrassing for her. Why did Sayyidina Sulaiman do all of this? Again, to show her what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him. It's part of the miracle of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him to show to her the truth of his message. Sayyidina Sulaiman told her, he said, Verily it is a glass surface with water underneath it. In that moment, that was the third step towards Islam for her. Finally, finally, Bilqis
2: submitted and said. She said, My Lord, verily,
1: I have wronged myself and I submit to Allah, the Lord of Al-Alamin, the Lord of the worlds. And she became a Muslim. That's the end of the story in Quran. And again, we don't go beyond that because there's many fairy tales about what happened after that, and there's no proof of the authenticity of any of these stories. They say that Sulaiman alaihissalam married Balqis, and it is turned into a romantic story. And we uh, do not, again, uh, get in this because if it's not true, it is being very disrespectful with the Mbi of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So we avoid it completely, and Allah subhanahu wa taala again whatever has been mentioned in the quran is for us to learn the lessons from al-ibra and whatever has not been mentioned in the quran has not been mentioned because there's no ibra in it there's no lesson in it and we need to be practical and learn what will benefit us al-ilm al-nafa' the beneficial knowledge and get away from the knowledge that doesn't do us any good and doesn't have any practicality or applications for it essence of the story is that at the end balqis became a muslim after she saw what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Sulaiman alayhi salam. We move on to another part of the story of Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam. In the time of Rasulullah sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and until now, a lot of things have been attributed to Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam, which are untrue. One of which is magic. There are some of al-Yahood, the Jews, who attribute magic to Sayyidina Sulaiman. And the whole story of the temple also is attributed to Sayyidina Sulaiman. For example, the Jews or the people of the book, they associate Sulaiman with someone called Asmodeus. A-S-M-O-D-E-U-S And this Asmodeus was the chief of the devils. And they associate him with Sayyidina Suleyman alayhi salam And they say that this devil, chief of the devils, was the one who assisted Suleyman in building and constructing. And he is the one who used to tutor and teach Suleiman magic. And to teach him many of the skills that they say Suleiman had. And you would find that many cults and movements, they attach themselves to Suleiman. Many of these secret orders, they claim that they go back to Suleiman. And the most famous of them is the Masonic movement, Al-Masuniyah, the Freemasons. You would find that the concept of the temple, the Temple of Solomon, is something that is uh, central or it is very influential on the ideology of the Freemasons. Also, movements like the Kabbalah and some of these other uh, mystical uh, Jewish cults, they uh, practice magic which they claim they have learned from Suleiman and it goes back, they claim that the lineage goes back to Suleiman. Now, that is, there is some truth that there is magic that goes back in lin- lineage to some very early Jews, but it does not go back to Sayyidina Suleiman. It all goes back to where? Where did the Jews learn? This magic that some of which still exists until now and it's very powerful magic. We're not talking about tricks where you hide a coin and you bring it out from somewhere or you bring something out of a hat. We're not talking about those uh, tricks which they fool the kids with. We're talking about some serious magic that could do some serious harm. Where was that learned from? We know that Fir'aun, in the time of Firaun there was some magic but Allah `Alam even though it was very powerful magic, but it was limited to the field of optical illusion. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَسَحَّرُوا أَعْيُنَ الْنَّاسِ They have committed magic to the eyes of people. But we're talking about some other magic that could influence the psychology and the spirit of people. Where was that learned? In Babel. And how, how did they get it from Babel? We know from the history that The kingdom of the Jews was destroyed by who? Nabuch Nasr. The Babylonian kingdom, they defeated the Jews in the Holy Land and they broke up their kingdom. Not only that, they took them as slaves back to Iraq in in Babylon. They took them back to Babylon. And the Jews were cut off from the true religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They were cut off from the scripture for quite a while. And they were under the influence and the dictatorship and the oppression and the tyranny of the Babylonians. And that is where a lot of the distortion that happened to the religion of Judaism, that is where it occurred. It occurred in Babylon. Where was the Talmud written? And who wrote it? It was written by the 70 rabbis who were in Babylon. Babylon. And now that is the central and the focus, that is the law and the central focus of the Yahud now. They have left the Torah and they are following a Talmud. And the Talmud was written by the rabbis who were influenced by the regime and the environment in Babylon. So if you read about this history, you find that Babylon is associated to it all. There's a lot of association with Babylon. A Talmud came out of there and magic and this these secret orders, they came from Babylon Rather than from Sayyidina Suleyman Even though they attributed to Sayyidina Suleyman The other point, the issue of the temple This temple of Suleyman is a myth There's no such thing called Temple of Suleyman The one who built the masjid was who? Ya'qub alayhi salam By the, nass, by the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, That the first house, Abu Dharr Rahim came to Rasulullah and said, "What was the first house established for the worship of Allah?" Rasulullah said, "Al Masjid al Haram, Al Kaaba." And then he said, "And then what?" Rasulullah said, "Al Masjid al Aqsa, wabeenahum Then the Masjid of Al Aqsa, Jerusalem, and between them was forty years. Forty years is the time between Ibrahim and Ya'qub. So Ya'qub is the one who built the Masjid or established it. What was the role of Suleyman? Suleyman he is the one who expanded the masjid and built it in its great form. Sayyidina Suleyman is the one who erected the masjid and expanded it during his kingdom. It was not a temple, it was a masjid established for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a masjid, a mosque. So this myth of the temple of Sulaiman and all of, these, all of this mythology is attached to it and superstition. And power, it's unreal. There was a masjid. Now, let's read from Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah, which is 101. وَلَمَّا جَأَهُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ مُصَدِّقٌ لِمَا مَعَهُمْ نَبَذَ فَرِيقٌ مِّنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَرَاءَ ظُهُرِينَ كَانَّهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and when there came to them a messenger from Allah, came to who? He was talking about اليهود, the Jews. And when there came to them a messenger from Allah, confirming what was sent to them, a party of those who were given the scripture threw away the book of Allah behind their backs as if they did not know. So they threw away the book of Allah. When Rasulullah came, because they don't want to follow him, and what did they follow? وَاتَّبَعُوا And they followed what the devils gave out in the lifetime of Sulaiman. What is this talking about? The devils were teaching the people magic. As-shayateen, the devils, were teaching the people magic before the time of Sulaiman and during the kingdom of Sulaiman. As-siddi, in his tafsir of this ayah, he says, Sulaiman came to know that the devils are teaching people magic. So he gathered all of their manuals and books. He took them away from the devils, from the people, because the people used to record what they would learn from the devils. Sulaiman took away all of those manuals and books, and he made a law that whoever learns magic, or practices magic, or teaches magic, will be executed. And he took away all of these books and manuals, and he buried them, as the story goes, under his throne. He buried them. To get rid of them, he buried them. And he made a law in his time that nobody should learn, or teach, or practice magic. This is from Shayatin. What happened when Sayyidina Suleiman passed away, a shaitan iblis came to the people in the form of a human being. And he said, do you know where Suleiman used to get his power from? The devils are the ones who used to teach him. And I'll show you the proof. Go and dig under his throne and see what you will find. They went to dig under the throne. They saw the manuals and the books of magic. So they made a rumor and they said that Suleiman, this is how he used to control the jinn, and this is how he achieved all of that power. It is through magic. And that's how they propagated this false rumor against Sayyidina Suleyman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to this claim and says, "Wama kafara سُلَيْمَانُ Suleyman has not committed kufr. Suleyman did not disbelieve. This part of the ayah tells us two things. First of all, it tells us that Suleyman did not commit disbelief. And it tells us that سحر, magic, what is it considered? It's considered to be kuf. It's considered to be disbelief. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كَفَرَ سُلَيْمَانَ Sulaiman did not disbelieve. This magic is not from, not from him because magic is disbelief and Sulaiman did not disbelieve. وَمَا كَفَرَ سُلَيْمَانَ وَلَكِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ كَفَرُوا But the devils are the ones who disbelieved. يُعَلِّمُونَ النَّاسَ السِّحْر teaching men magic. Who are the ones who are teaching magic? The devils. وَمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى الْمَلَكَيْنِ And what was revealed to the two angels. And we'll get into this, inshaAllah. وَمَا أُنزِلَ على الملكين. Now, in Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rarely mentions places unless there is a reason for mentioning a locality or a place. The Book of Allah is a book of guidance. So you don't find a lot of dates and numbers and chronological order of events and places and like you would find in the Old Testament or New Testament. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى الْمَلَكَيْنِ Where? Be Babel. In Babel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned the place over here in the ayah. And Allahu alam, the reason is because all of this, Magic, or secret orders, or distorted teachings came out of Babel. And we know that through history. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to record that in Qur'an, so that we would learn where the source of all of this came from. It came from Babel. Because without reading Qur'an, by just reading the history and books that deal with this, you would be able to see the association with Babel. So when you read this in Qur'an, it's an amazing thing to see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tied this into Babel. And that then gives us the complete picture of what happened. Because you could do readings, the secular reading on one side, on, on the history and what was happening. And then when you read Quran, it would put everything in perspective for you. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى الْمَلَكَيْنِ ببابل. What was revealed to the angels in Babel. هَارُوتَ Marut. Harut and Marut. The Mufassirin have a few opinions, and they could be uh, contradictory to each other. I'll mention one that was mentioned by a few of the Mufassirin and seems to fit the ayah most. And that is that Harut and Marut were two angels who descended to Babel, and they were teaching people magic. These two angels were teaching people magic. And they were doing it with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa taala by the will of Allah. We'll read the ayah and then elaborate on this a little bit. Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "وَلَكِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ كَفَرُوا يُعْلِمُونَ النَّاسَ وَمَا أُنْزِلَ عَلَى الْمَلَكِينِ وَمَارُوتَ وَمَا يُعْلِمَانِ مِنْ أَحَدٍ حَتَّى يَقُولَ إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ فِتْنَةٌ فَلَا But the devils disbelieved, teaching men magic. And such things that came down at Babylon to the two angels, Harut and Marut. But neither of these two angels taught anyone such things until they said, We are only for a trial, so disbelieve not. These two angels descended to Babel and they were teaching, they, they knew about magic. They knew this knowledge of magic. And people would come to them to learn. The angels would tell them, This knowledge that we are offering is kufr. So do not learn it. Because this is fitna. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted this to be a test. Knowledge that is offered for you, but you shouldn't learn it. That's what it's about. It's a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here is knowledge you're not supposed to learn. And this is knowledge that will make you disbelieve in Allah. And it's offered. This is the address. If you want to go and learn it, but the angels would not offer it to anyone until they would tell him, "Inna nahnu fitna fala This is a fitna. So do not disbelieve. The other stories that are mentioned in the book of Tafsir is that these two angels, actually the test was for them. Uh, they say that the angels, some these two angels said, "How come these people are sinning?" So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, go down to earth and Allah put in them the shahawat of a human being, the desires of a human being. And when Allah put in them the desires of the human being, they committed sins and they started practicing magic. But this does not seem to make sense because we know that the angels The angels do not disobey the orders of Allah and they do what Allah has ordered them. So it doesn't seem to make sense, especially that there is no uh, evidence to support it. If we would go with the literal meaning of the ayah, it would, it would mean that these are two angels who came down with the permission of Allah to test the people and to offer them something that is kufr and they should not learn it. This knowledge was learned by a faction of al-Yahud, the Jews, and it has been inherited from generation to generation through secret orders and part of that magic still exists until now. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa taala has told us one effect of such brand or type of magic. Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "They learn from these angels what could cause separation between man and his wife." This is a kind of magic. It's a magic spell that is cast on the husband or the wife and it would cause hatred in the heart of the husband or the wife and it would make it unbearable and eventually it would cause divorce separation and this exists and I personally happen to know a few cases first-hand knowledge of some cases where this happened it is true that this exists but Also, it is true that many people take it out of context, and whenever there's a problem between husband and wife, they hang it on magic. They said there's magic between them, and that's not true. There are a few cases, and uh, it is not always. We should not always say that there's magic between them, and that's where there's a problem. No, Uh, sometimes it's magic, sometimes it's uh, incompatibility of two persons. But this type of magic is not only limited to putting these. differences between husband and wife, it could cause some other harm. And the way it's done, they have to have a part of your body, a hair, a nail, with the assistance of the jinn, would wrap it in what is called uqda, al-aqd. And they would wrap it with that part of your body in it, and that is what would cause this problem or magic to take effect. And they would throw it somewhere. And when this type of magic was done on Rasulullah ﷺ, according to authentic ahadith, uh, one of the Yahud has done a magic spell on Rasulullah ﷺ. He threw it. Where did he throw it? He threw it in a well. So so Rasulullah ﷺ was suffering from that magic. Jibreel ﷺ came to Rasulullah ﷺ and said that it is in this well. So they retrieved it out of the well and they opened it up and the magic was released. So that uqda, uqda means a knot. That knot has to be released for the magic to be released. Sometimes they throw it in the ocean. Or they bury it in the desert. That's how difficult it could be. But because this seems to be a power... That is, in, that is in the hands of the magician, and seems to be supernatural abilities, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, وَمَا هُمْ بِضَارِينَ bihi min أَحَدٍ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ الله. And they would not harm anyone except by Allah's leave. So Allah is telling us that this is not power in the hands of the magicians that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not able to control. Allah is telling us that everything that is happening is by His Mashiach, by His will, as a test. And for us it is a test. Because we need to read al maawudat and we need to read Ayatul Kursi and we need to read what will save us from such things. So it is just like any other disease that exists. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a da' and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a dawa'. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the illness and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the cure. Rasulullah says, Every illness Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a cure for. So there's a cure for cancer, there's a cure for AIDS, there's a cure for everything. jahilum Some people would know it and some people won't. It's knowledge that needs to be investigated. This is a, 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 a disease or an illness, this issue of magic, and there's a cure for it, and the cure is? الفلق, الناس, and the other types of istaada that Rasulullah would do and ait kursi. And that's why we need to always practice repeating these adiyah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ma The magician would think that by learning this knowledge they could benefit. Person who goes to the magician thinks that the magician could benefit them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and they learn what harms them and profits them not. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that magic is purely harm and there is no benefit in it whatsoever. Whatsoever there is no benefit in it. And when Ibn Taymiyyah talks about the suffering and the misery, the magicians go through when they follow this path, you would be amazed. Don't think that the devils teach them this knowledge for free. They pay for it. And they pay for it in the worst ways. And when Ibn Taymiyyah talks about the rituals the magicians go through before they are incepted in the ranks of the magicians, it is things that would make the hair on your body stand. They would make them drink the blood of menstrual. They would make them eat frogs and snakes and insects. They would make them write ayat of Qur'an with blood and step over it. They would make them make stinja with pages of Qur'an. They would make them make sujood to the devils. They would make them make sujood to idols. These are rituals that the magicians have to go through before they get the assistance of the jinn. They do not offer their services for free. Jinn do not offer their services for free. The right way to heal is by reading Quran. By the shiukh who read Quran, that is a valid way because fihi Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and Quran is healing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَلَقَدْ عَلِمُوا لَمَنِ مَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ بِهِ أَنفُسَهُمْ لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ and indeed, they knew that the buyers of it, magic, would have no share in the hereafter. And how bad indeed was that for which they sold their own selves. Because the magician sells himself, if they but knew. And if they had believed and guarded themselves from evil and kept their duty to Allah, far better would have been the reward ...from their Lord if they but knew. So from these ayat, the Sahaba and also the Ahadith of Rasulullah, the Sahaba reached to the conclusion that magic is... ...Kufr al-Mukhrij al-Millah. It is an act that would take a person out of the folds of Islam. And that is why Umar al Khattab, he sent out a messages to the Islamic states... ...or the governments, الولايات, saying, kullu kill any magician... And uh, one of the sahaba said, we found three magicians and we executed them. So the ulama say that this is the had of magic. It is execution because of the, well, if you know stories of how magicians harm people, you would say that this is a little punishment for them. And they have destroyed, they have broken houses and they have caused harm. The amazing thing that nowadays, this particular type of knowledge, where is it most widespread in the Muslim world? It does exist everywhere else. It does exist everywhere else. But it's quite widespread in the Muslim world. And obviously the reason is work of shaitan. That is where he wants to break up families. Because we know from the hadith of Rasulullah that shaitan sets his throne on water and then the devils come and report to him and everyone brings in a report and shaitan... Tells him, sit down, sit down, sit down. And then eventually one would come and say, I have good news for you. I did not leave them until I... I did not leave the husband and wife until I separated them. Shaitan would say, you are the one. Come and sit next to me. Breaking up of families is amal al Shaitan, And that is why Shaitan tries to cause all of these fitan among the Muslims in general. يَنْزَغُ بَيْنَهُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tell my servants, the Muslims, to say a good word. Why? Because Shaitan tries to plant disunity among them. So one of the solutions to counter that is to say a good word. Because our words are arms, our weapon in the hand of Shaitan. He takes that word and he makes suavan in the heart of the other person, bad suspicion. And that's how problems start. Usually problems start because of what? Words. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tell my servants to say the good word. If we would just monitor our words, believe me, all of these problems would cease to exist. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has fulfilled his dua when he said, Habli He said, oh Allah, give me a kingdom that will occur to nobody after me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a unique kingdom and part of the uniqueness of the kingdom of Sayyidina Sulaiman is he has control over a shayateen And Sayyidina Sulaiman would put a shayateen under slave labor. They would work for him in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called adab Muheen. He would have them work and serve him. And he would put them through very difficult, uh, command them to do very difficult tasks. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Sayyidina Sulaiman the ability to do. So it's a service for Sayyidina Sulaiman and at the same time it's a punishment for a shayateen. They had to do this slave labor for him. But Al Yahud, they accused Sayyidina Sulaiman of being influenced by a shayateen and being controlled by a shayateen. Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam, he had this control over al jinn. Sayyidina Sulaiman alayhi salam, when he passed away, he, the jinn continued working for him and the shayateen even though he was already dead because he was kneeling on his cane and he was dead. But the shayateen used to think that he was alive even though he already passed away. And termites were eating from his cane from the inside and the cane was going hollow. But he was still supported by his cane sitting on a throne. And then when the termites kept on drilling through the cane and the cane broke down, then Sayyidina Sulaiman a.s. fell down. Only then did the jinn and shayateen realize that Sayyidina Sulaiman a.s. was dead. But before that, they continued serving and going through that slave labor because they were still seeing Sayyidina Sulaiman sitting on his arsh, on his throne. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned this in Quran, to refute the claims of al Yahud that Sayyidina Sulaiman
2: was controlled or influenced by jinn. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا قَضَيْنَا عَلَيْهِ الْمَوْتَ مَا دَلَّهُمْ عَلَىٰ مَوْتِهِ إِلَّا دَابَّةُ الْأَرْضِ تَأْكُلُ مِنْ سَأَتَهِ فَلَمَّا خَرَّتَ بَيَّنَتِ الْجِنُّ أَلَّوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ الْغَيْبَ مَا لَبِثُوا فِي الْعَذَابِ الْمُهِينَ Allah subhanahu
1: wa ta'ala says, Then when we decreed death for him, Sulaiman, Nothing informed them, the jinn, of his death, Except a little worm of the earth, which kept slowly gnawing away at his stick. So when he fell down, the jinn saw clearly that if they had known the unseen, they would not have stayed in the humiliating torment. This ayah responds to two things. First of all, it responds to the claim that the jinn were influencing Sayyidina Suleyman salam. And number two, it responds to the claim that the jinn know al-ghayb. The jinn, they do not know al-ghayb. And Al-Kahana and the sahara the magicians and the fortune tellers, they depend on Al-Jinn. And they claim that Jinn know the future. And since we have connection with the Jinn, we can know and tell what will happen in the future. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if the Jinn knew Al-Ghayb, if they knew the unseen, they wouldn't have remained in this punishment. Because the kind of tasks that Sayyidina Suleiman was putting them through was a form of punishment and humiliation for Al-Shayateen and Al-Jinn. And they kept on doing it even though Sayyidina Sulayman was dead. And this is a proof that Al jinn and the shayateen, they do not know al-ghayb. They do not know the unseen. The jinn they do not have any knowledge whatsoever about the unseen except what they steal from the conversation. When they eavesdrop on the angels, that's the only uh, information that they have. And they mix one piece of truth with ninety-nine lies. Sayyidina Sulaiman passed away, and that's when the jinn realized that they have been working overtime. And they know that he's the only human being who has control over us. So, as soon as Sulaiman passed away, they went to their normal jobs of the pre Sulaimanic era, and that is to deviate people. Now, Sayyidina Sulaiman did not have control over all of the jinn and the shayatin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put under His control some of the jinn and the shayatin. This is the story of Sayyidina Suleiman alayhi salam. Sallallahu ala Sayyidna Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi sallam tasliman
0: For further information, please contact Al-Bashir Publications and Translations at one 745 three 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 zero or three zero three five seven four zero zero nine five. Our fax number is three zero three three seven three zero nine four three or visit our website at www.elbashir.com. That's wwwal AL dash ER you can also write to our address at 10515 East 40th Avenue, Suite 108, Denver, Colorado 80239 3264. All rights reserved for Al Bashir Company for publications and translations. No part of this series may be reproduced in any form without written permission from the publisher. Unlawful reproductions may prevent Muslim businesses from further producing quality programs. Your consideration is greatly appreciated. Jazakumullahu khayran. Please proceed to the next CD.